Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Standing by, the Terry and Ted podcast is sponsored by the UPS Store Canada. Season five of the podcast. Hi, I'm Terry DeMonte. There's Ted Bird. It's time for another episode. How are you, Ted? You ready to go? I'm well, and I'm, I'm ready. I'm very excited about the episode today. Because, As am I. Uh, it's a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> big deal. Pretty fucking big deal. <laughs> <laughs> Let's, um, before we get started, uh, I know I, I know it's, it's not a secret because you can see Pierre sitting next to me, but we, before we get going... We have to say thanks to our title sponsor, the UPS Store Canada. Um, David Drucker, who is the, uh, well, he's the, he's the chief. He's the emperor of he's, UPS he's Store Canada. He's the emperor yeah. of the UPS Store Canada. Yeah. We've known David for a very long time. But he's a benevolent he is, emperor. Very yeah. much so. Yeah. Because uh, he oversees quite a network, over 370 locations of the UPS Store across the country, all of them independently owned. All of them run by entrepreneurs, perhaps just like you. If you have a business at home that uh, you could use some help with, whether it's uh, packaging or shipping or you need shipping uh, equipment, boxes, tape, that kind of thing. You didn't uh, mention the shredding of the documents Well, this I time. was going to get he to that. He usually mentions yeah. shredding documents. I don't know what he's been up to, but that seems to be top of mind with Terry. It seems like he has some documents that need shredding. No, um, uh, often you, uh, you, know, you have to keep your tax returns, for example, for seven mm. years. Once your tax returns pass the seven-year mark, you shouldn't just throw those in the garbage. Somebody could steal your identity mm-hmm. with all of that. So you should shred those documents. I didn't even know you had to keep them for seven years. Well, I'm just finding them this out now. <laughs> Uh-oh. Call your lawyer. <laughs> and they can help with printing services and document finishing services and all kinds of other things that pertain to running uh, an independent business, which a lot of people do now from home. But also, um, if you need to ship something to your Auntie Effie in Regina, uh, they can take care of that too. Um, and make sure that everything gets there unbroken. When I moved to British Columbia, we had some leftover stuff after the uh, the moving trucks left, and uh, we went right to the UPS store. The UPS store can really help ease your day. Go to the upsstore.ca and find one of the 370 locations closest to you. Our special guest is the legendary Pierre Hood. Um, Pierre is, uh, well, he's legendary because he is legendary. And I've known Pierre for a very long time now. And as a matter of fact, we were at one point broadcast colleagues, uh, part of my day that I miss very, very much. 
And uh, we like to say, Ted, that Pierre is to this generation what Danny Gallivan was to our generation. That's a great comparison, and I suppose René Le Cavalier would yes. also be a good comparison. Yeah. And we're just we're fawning over you, Pierre. Yeah. And I hope it's not making you uncomfortable. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> I am really uncomfortable. I'd rather talk about the UPS store because actually, actually, it's a great service for snowbirds because they do the transfer of your mail. I didn't. I forgot to mention. So that's if you're a, snowbirds and yes. you're going for six months, yeah. They, they can provide the, the transfer. Yeah, you can get a mailbox there. There you go. Yeah, there wow. you go. Now, the other story, for all those years I lived in Terrebonne, near Le Boise Golf Course, I don't, I don't remember who, but he recommended, why don't you open a UPS store uh, uh, franchise in Terrebonne? There yeah. are none. Yeah. And I said, well, it sounds good, but yeah. I have no time. <laughs> I'm busy. I'm a little bit <laughs> busy. Know, I'm just yeah. a little bit busy. And I'm on the road quite a bit. <laughs> and I'm on yeah. the road. Yeah. I could use the service, but, you know, run the service. I'm not sure I'd be a great operator. So, you I know what? It, making your podcast was way up there on my bucket list oh, these God, days. And I think that uh, it's, uh, it's, it's an honor for me. Thank Th you, Thanks Pierre. for all the nice words. Um, and speaking of legends... Uh, you're way up there as well in the broadcasting world in, in Montreal. So there you are. Uncomfortable. So, well, listen, we had, we had our day, and yeah. as my father used to say, Pierre, it's better to be a has-been than it ever was. <laughs> That's very wise. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to try to remember man. this one. As I'm growing a little bit older, I'm going to try to remember and this Also, one. you know, if you're watching and uh, you're watching from out of town, um, Pierre and I got together in Vancouver. Was yeah. it last year? Yeah. Pierre? Yeah. We had great dinner at yeah. the and Cactus Club Cafe. Pierre gets recognized all across the country, yeah. which is saying something about his, uh, uh, his talent and his ability. A lot of people, including our house out in Langley, British Columbia, choose to watch the uh, hockey games on RDS mm -hmm. um, because of RDS's coverage, first of all. Yeah. Uh, RDS's coverage, I think, is far superior than the coverage in English. That's a topic for another day. Uh, but also the legendary play-by-play -play and, and the legendary Elebu. <laughs> that, uh, that has become quite a signature for you, Pierre. And I don't know where to start with you, so let's start there. Tell me the evolution of that call. Well, it started with René Le Cavalier, actually, because uh, I had the immense privilege to work with René at the uh, last stage of his career, uh, mainly in uh, Los Angeles for the Olympic Games in '84. I was doing the play-by-play -play of rowing and canoe-kayak events at Lake Casitas, and René was the early morning host. And then a couple of years after, we've done some studio gigs together, and um, he was so... He was so uh, he was so important to me, and he was all humble, and he was all uh, trying to help me grow my career. And at one point, he said uh, a couple of advices for you. First of all, never lose your your capability of being marveled by what you do. He was saying in French, la faculté d'émerveillement. Never lose this uh, this ease that you have to be in awe with 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 sports. And, Never and, become and, jaded. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And he said it's so important. Said the second thing, if you ever do hockey, a lot of people are giving me uh, the, uh, the the honor of, of having created Lance Compte. You all know the, yeah, uh, yeah, of course. the very legendary, legendary French way of yeah. calling a goal. And he said, I always felt uneasy about that because he said, I created something that is not uh, perfectly acceptable in the French language. 
I said, how is that, René? Lance? He said, yeah, Lance. But count. You can count to, to 10. <laughs> yeah. You can count on someone. But you can't count a goal. Yeah. And I'm doing the gross translation, but it applies very, uh, very well yeah. uh, in the same context. So I said, oh, my God. I, so what do you suggest? What he said, I'm trying in the latter stage of my career to just go et de but, which is what, what it is. Mm -hmm. It's a goal. Yeah. You know? So I, I always uh, remembered that, uh, that, um, that recommendation from René. And then if you, if you listen to Richard Garneau in the past, he would go et le but, and then Claude Kelvin as well. I was probably the one that made it more dramatic. Well, uh, it, I'll, I'll take this credit. It sounds to <laughs> me like you listened to his, his, his advice because you brought your marvel for the sport to that call. Yeah, well, I've, I've never uh, thought about it this way, Terry, but probably. Yeah. yeah. Probably. And when I go et on roule in Formula One, uh, I will tell you I've never had, I've never had personally and in, 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 within me a doll launch to a Grand Prix. I'm always as excited. Gave me goosebumps there well, because yeah. well, I, I, I can picture the lights. Yeah, and I can hear you. They're off. Yeah, yeah. sort of. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I came. I came. I came to it, Ted, by accident. Actually, yeah. it's uh, we were doing the um, the uh, world prototype uh, race, the only one we had in Montreal. We were we were doing it in 1990. And at one point, I'm calling those absolutely fantastic cars. And they're huge and they're noisy and, and they go 325K. And I go, wow, et on roule. So the circuit Gilles Villeneuve. And then Christian Tortora was by me. <laughs> he liked that. And he liked that. <laughs> and we funny. were with uh, one of the vice presidents of the Federation as well. And he went, oh, it's pretty good. And so uh, it became my call to, uh, you know, to start a Formula One race. So... Uh, so, I'm, I, I'm I'm very humbled about it. I did not create Elebu. It was René Le Cavalier's yeah. recommendation uh, to go this way. I think I made it maybe a little bit because more alive and intense. I would. That's that's an understatement because I people ask you to do it. Eh? Sometimes, oh, hey, people, people actually, stop you. And 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 thank you to all those ad agencies or their sponsors. Yeah. But the only thing I do outside <laughs> calling a hockey game is to call a hockey game on movies, on commercials, commercials on yeah. documentaries. I've heard that on a commercial recently, <laughs> yes. Pierre. I wonder what yeah. it is. Yeah. In both languages. We yeah. did, Mark and I, we did Hyundai in both languages. Okay, yeah. maybe that's what I'm hearing because I is. listened to uh, uh, BPM Spot on my way home from yeah. work. Yeah, yeah. And I've we probably had, heard it We also there. did the English version. That, yeah. was, that, was a, was fun. that was funny. It was fun. Well, is there no, sorry, Terry, is ahead. there no literal translation for he shoots, he scores? Like for he scores, there's not a literal translation? Well, René thought he lancez compte. Oh, but yeah. as yeah. I said, he was, he was, René was, was a, an unbelievably uh, a strong believer of of you know using the French language the proper way, right? Because René is not from the sports; he's not originally from sports. He, he's he used to be an announcer in Quebec City, and he was coming from the entertainment side yeah. of radio. And he came from uh, Radio Canada, yeah, which was the same as CBC. And in the fifties and the sixties, you had to speak very perfect English. And I would imagine la même chose en français. Absolutely the yeah. same, Terry. And that's and, where that was part of his DNA. Yeah, I guess. and you and you were actually supervised by the announcer bureau, not yeah. by the sports department. Yeah, yeah. And then you had the chief announcer. Yeah. So whoever he was, because they were mostly male at the time, but whoever he was, he was on your back all the time. Yeah. I I've been there. I've been through this in the eighties. You go to your little uh, your little section in the. In the, the pigeonier, you know, and yeah. then, oh, 
Gee, there's a note. Another note. What's the note? <laughs> uh, Pierre, very good, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Please, uh, please note the way yeah. you use the word uh, blah blah, and please uh, try to correct it. Up so. here, uh, you're. We go all the way back. The beginning is you have like both Ted and I. Uh, you started with a passion for broadcasting. Right? You just loved radio and loved being on the air. 48 years ago. There you go. And that's where I wanted. I want people to know that you actually started. You're a music fan. You're a musician. And uh, you were a disc jockey. Yeah. I, my first gig was like so many of us. The overnight gig on weekends yeah. Yeah. at CKEC. But And it, was it a music station at the time? No, here? it was not. But in the mid-70s, because... Because the actually this is this probably explains why we had jobs at the time, because the CRTC changed the broadcasting rules, so CKGM FM could not be CKGM FM anymore, and you couldn't have a CGMS FM anymore. The FM stations needed their own identity, per law or per reg, per regulation. Mm. They needed their own announcers. They had what we called their. Uh, obligatory or mandatory uh, talk content. Yeah. You remember yeah. those contents that we had to foreground do? Foreground programming. Foreground programming. Yeah. There you yeah. go. Yeah. And there were other mosaic and yeah. phonograph yeah. and whatever. Yeah. Okay. So there were lots of jobs openings. And in reaction to this, the AM station, <laughs> they, they were actually visionary. They saw their own collapse coming. And they said, well, maybe we should try to imitate what the FM stations do or will do eventually. So... The night gig or the night programming and the overnight programming was mostly music. The rest was talk, public affairs. Jacques Prou, of course, was yeah. our was a superstar in the morning. And uh, so basically, if, you, if a station wanted to give you a tryout, they would give you the overnight show on weekends. And then you had a couple of weekends to make your, to make your way or to move out. And I almost moved out. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah, because I, um, yeah, I don't know. I, they, they saw I had some potential, but they said, maybe you should work on the the tone of your voice, and you should be able to rely on, you know, try to go deeper. And they said, try to to imitate an announcer that you like uh, on our airwaves. And one of them was uh, what we call a house announcer. He was mm -hmm. doing a lot of uh, advertising and. His name was Georges Vermette. I will always remember. Deep voice. And, and then I was trying to imitate him in my, my, uh, my room at home. And Paul would go, what the hell are you doing there? And I said, well, I'm trying to, to go down, to go deeper. And then I understood the vibrato coming and from the, from the um, what do we call it, from the stomach yeah, and all yeah. the way up. And then I went on the air the other weekend and they said, oh, major difference. Now we'll work on your content. And then... And Uh, I, I was a student at Sejep at the time, and uh, I never left uh, radio I never except for uh, running the Grand Prix in the mid '80s. I think that's terrible advice. Try to imitate an announcer <laughs> who you like. Yeah, I, 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 I think I say be yourself. Be yourself. Well, that, yeah, that. But back in the day, you know, like back, oh yeah, yeah, I back know, because I era, heard the same thing. Yeah. Try to make your voice deeper. Yeah, and, well, yeah, and try yeah. and. Try and sound more like a Not radio, like a radio oh, announcer, there, yeah. everybody, and, and especially on AM because yeah. we didn't have yeah. the uh, the stereo uh, capabilities yeah. to help us have a deeper right. voice. So it was uh, it was their first advice. Well, it the, sounds like it kept you on the tracks. Yeah, too. yeah. yeah. I, I'm glad. I'm glad. 
I'm glad would, I got the trick. <laughs> what do you think you would have done, Pierre, if you had left? Did I you was, have any uh, ideas? Of course. I was, uh, uh, so I was in Cégep doing my, uh, uh, doing my uh, what we call science de l'administration on my way to Hautes Études Commerciales, to business oh. school. And I am actually a graduate of Hautes Études Commerciales. Wow. I didn't and know all that. The, and all those years, uh, I, I was already married. I married my high school sweetie when I was 21, and Céline was 20. And her father was a chartered accountant. And for them, it was all fun that I was doing radio on weekends and, yeah. you know, probably working like two months, like, I don't know, 60 days in a row during summer, pinch hitting for the other uh, announcers on vacation. I was making decent money, but... For them and for me, it was like my summer job right. and my weekend job. And 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 back then it was like, well, when you, when are you going to get a real job? There you go. <laughs> and of course, and people I, actually said that to me over the years. You know, and it, it's and it sort of washed my own brain. Yeah. Because I I never believed I had the potential to make a decent right. living out of radio. So I I was I was going straight to be a chartered accountant. I was actually believe it or not that hired by six chartered accountant firms with very average or a little bit below average grades because I could yap, yap, yap in the interview. And they said, cha-ching, cha-ching. So you got six offers. Six offers wow. for my stage, for my uh, internship. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I was studying for my last uh, fiscalité uh, exam, mm -hmm. which made me so nauseous just thinking about that brick the, the law, the, uh, the la loi de l'impôt, the yeah. fiscal law, still makes me nauseous today. <laughs> I hated that so much. Yeah. And I was trying to study, and I was tapping my uh, my pencil, and I was listening to a hockey game. And then my wife, Céline, came and said, you're not happy, eh, uh, love? And I exploded. And it was like piercing the, uh, whatever you call it, the piercing balloon. the problem. Yeah. 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 And uh, she says, why... Are you doing this for my father? I said, yeah, yeah, and you, uh, but your father. And she says, well, don't do that for my father. Why don't you do something that will make you happy? So the next morning, I went to the administration, and I said, well, you know what? I hate, uh, I hate accounting, <laughs> and I don't want to be a CA. Okay, but I'm in radio. I love radio. I love broadcasting. Hey, why don't you go to see our marketing uh, program uh, uh, director? He's a graduate of mass media of Indiana State University. Hmm. Went to see uh, Claude Chaquette, who was amazing, and he said, well, I'll build you a program. If you want to come back for a full year at university, I'll build you a program wow. that will probably take you to be a manager in a, in a, in a, you know, in a prosper and a successful manager in radio. And then I flew high the next year. So I did another year of a specialization, marketing, all the basic courses, and uh, then I grew up in the CKVL Sequoia family and ended up program director at CKVL in the, when I was 23. That's amazing. <laughs> and uh, and th that's, I owe a lot to my first wife who was actually a uh, big supporter. Eh? That's big supporter. Great advice. Huge supporter. Yeah. I'm still getting very well along with her these days. That's, that's nice, nice to hear. That's good. Yeah. That, um, so let's take that jump off point. Where does the transition to sports come? Well, the transition to sports came uh, when Radio-Canada actually needed some freelance announcers. There weren't enough of them because 
they knew that Jean-Maurice Bailly, René Le Cavalier, Richard Garneau, uh, Raymond Lebrun, and all of them in French, and the same thing also happened on CBC. Yeah. They were all about to, to retire. And they realized that there, was, there were not enough younger announcers to fill in the blanks or filling the holes. And so in 78, I am uh, hosting my morning show, my weekend morning show on Sequa. And uh, I am uh, spinning records. And at one point, I do my own little sports cast. And uh, I get a phone call. And half of them I didn't answer. Half of them I would answer. So this one I happened to answer. And he says, my name is uh, Julien Dion. I'm the producer of NFL football on Radio-Canada because they had NFL football at 1 a.m. At 1 a.m., sorry, 1 p.m. every Sunday. And he said, I'm looking for new people to... Uh, to be an analyst on uh, at halftime, uh, you like football? I said, I'm crazy about football. So I'd like to give you a try next week. <laughs> so, <Wow>. what? <laughs> so that was my first gig, actually, as a football analyst. And how about that coincidence? You know who was my partner analyst at the time? He turned out to be my first color man in 89. It was Yvon Pedno. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. I miss Yvon. I miss him so much. I loved watching the other him. Day, yeah. I loved it when he yeah. would go, quel mauvais jeu. Yeah. <laughs> There's a guy who didn't, he never sugarcoated anything. Yeah, he called now, it the way he saw it. Now, the thing you may have heard, but you never saw it, is that sometimes he was, he was so angry that he would bang on the table. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you that story later if we have time. Uh, so, but, but, and then I got my little my little toe uh, in the door. You know? <coughs> Excuse me. And then they said, "Oh, okay, early '80s, maybe we need that." And then they needed some announcers for the Olympics in '84, and they said, "Well, we'd like to have you uh, on board. We like what you've done for us so far in the NFL, and we we think you could blend very well." And uh, I was actually so well uh, received and so so welcomed by all those veterans I'm talking about, and uh, I had. Uh, my career was was launched, and it turned out that the um, the exec producer at the time was Guy Desormeaux, and Guy Desormeaux became the vice president of RDS when RDS was born. So wow. Guy turned to the younger and available announcers to build up the RDS uh, announcing crew in 89. But that was the big door that actually opened for me was the LA Olympics uh, it was just. Uh, did you amazing. actually go, or did you call it off the screen? No, at home? We, you went? we all went. Yes. Did, is, is that where you called canoeing and kayaking? Yeah. Now, did you know anything about canoeing and kayaking? No. So no. you had to educate yourself yeah. on the sport. Yeah. yeah. And we didn't have internet at the time, of course. So yeah, uh, yeah. Eighty-four were, were the first games where we had emails between oh, wow. us. Wow. Okay. So between anybody who had a credential, you could write to that person. Of course, it took like three hours to yeah, get yeah, the message sent, but yeah. but still, but so but I did my homeworks, and they had a great uh, they got they had great research crews at the time. Did you have a color commentator yes, with you? Yeah. Yes, and and especially for for kayak, he was Denis Barry. Denis Barry himself was a great uh, Quebec uh, kayaker or ca kayak yeah, uh, kayaker, kayaker, yeah, kayak yeah. athlete. And the great story is that his wife was actually in the K four team. So I had, and they won the bronze medal. So I had to call this race with Denis Barré, trainer of the boat, but husband of one wow. of the four athletes. Okay. I, I still have the goosebumps wow. telling that. So we had amazing stories in, the, in Lake Casitas. 
And uh, it's uh, on a personal level, it was like opening my own wings. Yeah. Uh, it was, uh, it, it, it brought me so many lessons. Um, it probably showed me that I got married too young. And <laughs> I always apologize to Celine for that, but we decided it was the way to go. But at the same time, I took like uh, my, my ultimate jump to go to another level, another step in my life. I, Those were games I will never forget. I would have loved to, to call like kayaking and canoeing with you, Ted. That would have been quite spectacular. It would have been a lot of, uh, a lot of this. <laughs> Here he going, comes. What's going on there? Here they come. Yeah. Uh, now oh. he's paddling on the other side. <laughs> oh, now he's back on the right yeah. side. Looks like he's oh, getting no, a little no, wet. You would, you would have been good. You would have done your homework. Well, that's what you got to do. A, yeah. I, you know, I think about kayaking and canoeing and play-by-play. -play, that's a challenge, my friend. Yes and no, because as long as you have a race, athlete. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So a, ra a race yeah. between. Human bodies, yep. or a race between a race between right. cars or or boats. Yeah, a race is a race. A race. So gotcha. there's always something yeah. to call. Right. You know? So so when was the first hockey game? Oh uh, well, the first hockey game as such, the, the first meaningful hockey game. I was still with uh, Radio Canada at the time. It was before, just before RDS uh, was born. Radio Canada had the uh, rights to the. Um, final of the uh, Junior Hockey League in Quebec. It was uh, in 89, actually, just before RDS came alive. And they said, well, we'd like to have you as the uh, hockey announcer. It was Laval and Victo, Victoriaville. You will remember probably Reggie Savage mm -hmm. playing for yep. Victoriaville. Stéphane Fizet was the goalie. In Laval, uh, Paulin Bordelot was the big star. Uh, he was... Uh, he was the coach, actually. Neil Carnes, the late Neil Carnes, mm -hmm. was a huge star. He, he would have played for the Habs, this, uh, this kid. He got killed on a motorcycle. Uh, Patrice Brisebois. Quel uh, mauvais jeu, Patrice Brisebois. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Jack Todd. <laughs> Hi, Jack. Sorry. Uh, Jack knows I love him. Uh, um, and uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois' father, Eric, was a huge defenseman. Anyway, so I get to call... Two games in this final. And then somebody said, oh, this kid can call hockey as well. He can call more than racing and more yeah. than, uh, more than uh, canoe and kayak. <laughs> and so RDS launches on September 1st, 1989. And, of course, there's no hockey at the time. So we, we start with baseball, with Denis Casavant and with the Roger. And... Uh, Maybe, I would say, three weeks after, Mario Brisebois, who used to write in Le Journal, the uh, sports television column, writes a very dramatic piece on RDS still has no play-by-play -play announcer for hockey, and the first game is October 16th. Uh, hello, emergency, alarm, ring, ring, ring. My former boss at CFGL, Roland Saussier, very close to Guy Desormeaux, who's the vice president at RDS, says, mm-hmm, maybe there's a way to bring Pierre back to CFGL, and at the same time, maybe it's the play-by-play -play announcer they're looking for. So the, uh, Roland phones me, says, I want to see you tonight, 7 p.m., at Le Pirate, that famous restaurant on De Laurentiis Boulevard in Laval. It's a secret. Oh, okay, all right. And I get there, and Roland is there, and Guy Desormeaux is there, and said, sit down. 
Young man, sit down. You can't refuse this proposal. You'll come back to CFGL. You'll, you'll do gigs, uh, and I need also support in management. And Guy said, I, I desperately need a play-by-play announcer, but I thought you were not available. I thought you were happy at CBC. And I said, well, if the money is good, I'm jumping I, right there. I knew I, I had to do it because I would have been stuck uh, in line yeah. at CBC. And, and I thought the moment in my life was good. Michelle was not born yet. Uh, I just met uh, a new woman in my life who happened to be my wife for 30 years and the mother of Michelle. And uh, so the timing was right. I decided to go the adventurous way. Adventurous way. Yep, yep. And uh, when I did my first call on October 16th, 1989, the moment I said, bonsoir, mesdames, messieurs, I knew I made the right decision. Yeah. Wow. I knew it right there. And my father was very supportive of that. He said, go, do it. And he even said, my father, he said, one of those days, there will be only hockey on RDS anyway. <laughs> he was right. Which yeah. happened for yeah. 13 years yeah. in, in the 2000s. So RDS had hockey rights, NHL rights right out of the gate? Yeah, we, but we were fourth in line. Like you had Hockey Night in Canada, of course. Mm-hmm. Like CBC was probably mastering the whole deal with the league and with the Habs. Then you had a, a weekly game on TVA, like on Wednesday night. Then you had TQS doing, oh, doing, yeah. doing the Nordiques. Yeah. Yeah. So whatever was left, we could basically right. so buy who, those games. D- who was the first game you called? What were the teams? Washington. Yeah, in, Washington. In Montreal. Washington at Montreal. Yeah. Wow. It was an overtime loss. Yeah. October 16th, 1989. Do you remember the starting goaltenders? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I know I made a mistake because at one point I said, what a stop by... Pete Peters. It wasn't Pete Peters. It was who was the other one in Washington? Yeah, on the spur of the moment. No. Yeah, it's, I shouldn't have put you on the spot. No, like no, that. don't it's worry. So long ago. No, don't worry yeah. about that. It was, was Patrick uh, Wild. Well, '89 was probably Patrick. Yeah, and uh, but it's not Pete Peters. It was like it was the only mistake I had done. It's more of a lapsus, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I mean, I will always be so recogn. Uh, I will. So uh, so happy, and uh, I will be so touched that the next morning we had amazing reviews in both newspapers, in Le Journal and in La Presse, and uh, it give uh, it gave us so much uh, confidence to. Uh, Who was your color uh, commentator? Was it Ivan? It was Ivan. Yeah. yeah, it was Ivan. Yeah. So how long did you and Ivan work together for? Five years to start with. Then okay. we had proposals to move to TVA. I didn't go. Ivan decided to go. Then I got to work with Pierre Bouchard for five years, and then. Pierre was uh, wanted out. He wasn't probably in the in the, the right chair. So RDS said, uh, "Who would you, who would you like to work with?" I said, "I'd like to to work with Yvon again." And Yvon accepted to come back, like for ten years. Then Benoit Brunet came in, and then uh, Marc Denis came in. Pierre, do you remember years. the? Um, you know, we you and I have talked about this before. If you're if you're a Montreal kid, if you're born and raised, if you're a Quebecer and you're raised in Montreal. Everything about the Montreal Canadiens is special. Mm-hmm. You know, being around or near Belleville, being in the Forum, those kinds of things. Do you remember having a feeling wash over you when you walk into the broadcast booth to cover a Montreal Canadiens game? Do you do you remember thinking, this is where I belong? I think I still have this. Yeah. 
I think back I to what Rene Lecavoyer talked. It's never yeah. stop marveling. Of course, it was it was special to go in the old forum. Because you had to, you had to be a bit acrobatic yeah, to work yeah, there. You yeah. remember all those columns? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. So and the booth were small. Yeah. And uh, but you know what? I think I still have the same. I think you do passion. too. Yeah. Uh, RDS was nice enough to put a sign uh, going into our booth, and they say "Office of Bureau de Pierre Houdin." Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. But it's nice. But it's more than that. It's yeah. it's like wow. I'm I'm so privileged. There's not a day I don't I don't appreciate. The privilege to be uh, to be the voice of most of the uh, Montreal Canadiens games, I, and, and sometimes even Lynn, my partner in life, she says, "Pierre, why do why do you forget about it so often? Why don't you realize it more often?" Because I said, "Well, it's that's the way I am. Yeah. I, I I just I'm just thankful every day for the privilege." Because the, the rink itself is a special place, but you know, you've invited me a couple of times up to the booth, and when that door that little door opens to that little studio. There's a magic in there. Yeah. I can't describe it, but it's. Uh, I get all goosebumps when... I know you love airplanes. I don't know about yeah. you, Ted, but a lot of people tell me it's the same excitement uh, they had when they went into an airliner cockpit, cockpit. for the first yeah. time. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and, and, you know, and in hindsight, as I said, I would have been a, a rotten chartered accountant. <laughs> in hindsight, probably my life was meant to be in, in, uh, in cockpits, quote-unquote, yeah. because I'm... My real... My real place is in the boot. My other real place is in a cockpit. I, I have. Do my you fly, air, Pierre? I don't fly anymore, but I have a 400 hours of flight. Mm -hmm. I had my night rating. I was doing my multi-engine uh, rating as well when I quit. They closed the strip in Mascouche, and it just uh, it, it, it just meant the end for us, my partner and I. But I I miss it like crazy. Yeah. You don't know how much I miss. Really, eh? this amazing. Uh, feeling of freedom of flying your own aircraft. Well, I, I remember when we would do the morning uh, on the morning show and what Pierre was was on we, every weekday with me at 8:20 and I would say to him how was the trip last night and you'd say Oh, it was great. We landed on 26 right. And, I'm, <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> and Captain yeah. Jay Neal says hi. Yeah. Hi, Jay, yeah. if you're listening. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, one of the T-shirts I, I still keep very in a special place in my closet is your 747 <laughs> time call. Uh, I got, uh, I got, th this was the last thing I actually got on your last show yeah. from Jess. Yeah. And uh, it's, it has a special place. Thank in you. My, that, uh, that means a lot to me. <laughs> in Pierre. my closet. <laughs> uh, Pierre Hood is uh, our very special guest. And I, I don't, I started to think last night about, you know, different games. You know, there's, there has to be games that stick out in your mind. Um, and uh, I'll ask you to describe or, or tell us about the memory of a couple of them, but I'd like to start with the game that you got called to do in English. <laughs> and, and there's a connection there that's really, <laughs> oh. it's, it's a fascinating story, and it involves CJD. And have uh, I got this right? At the time, you were calling games in French, yeah. and, and they called you and said, we need your help. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, well, I think that the story started uh, when I was on board a Toronto to Montreal flight. On and, and my 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 neighbor was actually Pierre Lacroix, and this is the summer when the Nordiques were moving from Quebec City to Denver, and we have to sit on the tarmac for about three hours because because of rainstorms and and showers and uh, and thunderstorms, and. The seat happens to be empty, so he said, come and sit with me. And then 
he basically offers me to consider moving to Denver and become the voice of the avalanche. Wow. And I said, well, I'm a Francophone. But he said, you're bilingual. I said, yeah, but maybe I'm missing this much. And so anyway, he says, uh, but, you know, I still consider that after, after a couple of months, it would be fine. And I, I want somebody who knows the story of the team and who knows the... Uh, so, and that made the newspaper. Mario Brisbo actually wrote about it. So it got some sort of digested in the English community here. So that eventually led me to do a game on TSN uh, in Pittsburgh with Gary Green and uh, yeah. pr probably being the first Francophone ever to do a game yeah, on, I didn't know on, that on English yeah. On an emergency basis? No, or no, no, it, it was, was planned. planned. Okay. Yeah, Gordon Cutler had a lot of announcers doing the World Juniors. They were short in announcers, and they said, well, it's the Habs, it's Mario... Yeah, you're a great fit. So uh, it was December 26, 1995. And then I, I'm, uh, Michelle is barely born. I'm, I'm, uh, uh, I'm doing some shopping with uh, Sylvia at the time. We're going to the uh, shopping center. It's 5 p.m. There's a snowstorm and the phone rings. And I said, ah, no way. I'm going to mess the, the, uh, the plancher, you know, the floor. I'm not. And my wife says, well, who knows? Maybe it's important. Go, go, go. I'll wipe the floor later. So I, uh, I take the phone. Yellow. Pierre, Pierre, I can't <laughs> believe it. You're answering. The guy at the other end is frantic. Yeah. I can't believe it. Please save us. <laughs> I'm about to hang up because I think this is a joke, you know. It happens to be Dino Sisto, who was the voice of uh, the, the, the Canadians on CJD. We're all stuck in the Bahamas and... The plane is broken, and, and Dick Irvin has to be on, on Hockey Night in Canada, and we don't have an announcer for tonight's game. I said, Dino, calm down, calm down. Okay, <laughs> let's go from scratch. Okay, you need a play-by-play -play announcer. I'm in Terbonne. There's a snowstorm. I'm a francophone. Bye, Dino. Good luck. Pierre, please don't do that. Please don't. Okay, so step number two. How late can I can I go there? Because I've got to drive the car and I've got to be there. Uh, he said, "No problem. Dick is going to do his own uh, his own portion." And then if you're there at six fifty, is fine. Okay, who am I working with? Jim Corsi is the uh, the analyst. Okay, I'm gonna. I know Jim. And my my wife at the time says, "Go go go! It's good. it'll be fun for you." Said, okay, Dino, I'll do it. <gasps> <laughs> so I have no notes, no internet, no nothing. But I had one of those original uh, uh, cellular phones in my car. So I punched my brother's number, my brother number. I said, Paul, help me out on this. I'm calling the game in an hour on English radio. I said, oh, boy. So he gives me some insights. I had done the wings. The Red Wings were in town. Now, I'll tell you what game it was. Um, so I knew the Red Wings pretty well. So I went with some confidence. Game starts. one nothing Red Wings. Two nothing Red Wings. Three nothing. Yeah, Red that's Wings. in the middle for, of their dynasty, is it not? At that time, worse than that. That was Patrick Was last oh, game. Oh, that night. <laughs> yeah. That was that night. Wow. I answered the phone. It was that game. <laughs> wow. I got goosebumps just telling you about it. And the story is, is so funny because it was in the old forum, so yeah. it wasn't like mandatory that you had a monitor while in the radio booth. So we had no monitor. And Jim had those opera binoculars, mm -hmm. you know, those small ones. Yeah. And at one point, and we're calling this crazy game. And then Patrick goes up in the air, and then Mario pulls him out. And 
But I don't see it because it's a bit far, it's a bit dark, and Jimmy's trying to see what's going on with the binoculars. And he said, Pierre, I have a feeling something wrong is going on now at the Montreal bench. He finally pulls out Patrick Roy. And then the game is over, and I say, well, Dick Irvin is coming with the uh, post-game uh, report. I'm Pierre Hood. Thanks, uh, thanks for being with us, and uh, thank you, Jimmy. And I go home, and I'm so nervous. And I said, oh, my God, how I thought I was a mess. I thought I was so bad. Uh, it turned out not, I guess. Yeah. I open up the Téléjournal. The first item in the news is what's going on at the Bell Center, and Patrick Roy wants, wants out, and there was a fight, and he asked to be traded, and he's going to be traded by Réjean And I said, wow, I can't believe I called this game without knowing what was going on. And uh, so... I, I became some sort of a regular in trivia questions. I know Mitch <laughs> is always using this as uh, one of his trivia questions. <laughs> Who was calling that game on English radio the night that Patrick Roy pulled himself out of the team? There's another uh, <laughs> trivia question that Rob Kemp loves. You know, Rob. Yeah, of course. Uh, from the same night. Who replaced Patrick Roy in goal? Oh, my God. Who was that at the time? That's a good question. Pat Jablonski. It was Jablonski. Yeah. Okay. Jablonski. Yeah. Wow. All right. Yeah. So you couldn't see from your vantage point what we all saw watching on television. We had no monitor. The yeah. exchange, the, 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 the hostile glare yeah. from Tremblay, the exchange between Roy and Ronald Corey, you were unable to see that because you didn't have a monitor. There you go. And wow. then my recommendation after that to Jimmy and to uh, Dino is that, I mean, ask RDS or yeah. ask the other networks. Yeah, get they a will, monitor. They yeah. will gladly supply yeah. A monitor hook you up at least with our broadcast, and uh, so, so we, we knew that uh, that something was going wrong, and and Jimmy as a goalie himself was building up steam. The more Mario would let Patrick in the nets, yeah. Jimmy was building up steam beside me because he felt for Patrick. You know, as he a was a goalie. Yeah, yeah Jimmy was, was a, a goalie. I watched him play for the Pierrefonds Pirates when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. 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 He was such a nice person. Yeah, I mean, great guy. I mean, the two games yeah. in, in, in English I, I've, I've done, I couldn't be better surrounded. Jimmy was so nice. Dick, of course, we we're still very good friends. And uh, Gary Green on TSN and Darren Dutishin as a host was so graceful to me. They made me feel welcome. I was a nervous wreck before going on the air. And uh, when you, I, I guess you, you read them, uh, Terry. We had great reviews in the, um, in the uh, Toronto Globe and Mail. Oh, yeah? Yes, we had great reviews. And they said that, and Pat Burns, who was doing uh, color in between coaching gigs on both languages, they said that Pat Burns and Pierre Hood are doing more for the unity of this country than, <laughs> than every single true. politician. That's great. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> well, I, didn't know, I don't know if we deserved that, uh, that remark, but uh, I thought it was very uh, heartwarming. Other than that, you know, that was a game in special circumstances. Are there games that stand out that you, you know, I'm sure you've been asked this question a thousand times, but for people who are listening, do you remember, like, you know, turning the mic off and going, Wow. Yeah, well, the golden goal in Vancouver, yeah, of course. Wow. Uh, I, I always, I'm always a little bit jealous of Chris Cuthbert. Yeah. Because he had his line. Yeah. yeah. I had the opposite philosophy. I had the opposite, the, the philosophy to shut my mouth and let the people enjoy the. Uh, let the pictures tell just the story. The picture. yeah. yeah. In hindsight, I could have made a little bit more money, maybe with my own, <laughs> <laughs> with my own. But sentence. I appreciate that. that. You know what? That, that's very Vin Scully of you. And yeah. Pat Summerall. I yeah, used to Pat love Summerall. Pat Summerall yeah, yeah. on football uh, yeah. because of his less is more yeah. style of announcing. You know, yeah. 
the whole play would unfold, and all he would say would be, Dorsett, touchdown Cowboys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the pictures told the rest right. of his yeah, story. I, I, That's all he had to say. Yeah. Different sport. Yeah. I well, mean, th- th- at that moment, I thought, and then I took the uh, to the talk back, and I said to my uh, producer, don't goof. This is yours. So he went, and, and the director as well, yeah. they went with all those great cuts and those close-ups and those fan reactions, and I said, good show, guys, yeah. good show. And then what I felt, it was the proper moment to resume uh, calling whatever was going on. I did it. So this is pretty, not pretty. That would probably be number one yeah. on my list. Now, uh, the big comeback against the Rangers, uh, this is probably one of one of my most memorable, memorable games because this is like a, a record comeback by the Habs, but at the same time, I sort of, and if you listen to my call these days, I saw it coming. I had, uh, <laughs> I had yeah. some sort of an input. A premonition? Uh, no, yeah. well, more than that. I think I was actually yeah. hit by a lightning. Because <laughs> <laughs> you could feel it. And I start telling to Yvonne, wow, wow, okay, it's 5-1. But hey, Yvonne, there's still a lot of energy in the room. And the, wow, it's 5-2. And look at those fans. They, you know, my, gee, I sound, I sound like Bob Euchre. Look at those fans. <laughs> they, they, re- they still react. And oh my, hey, it's 5-3. And then... Kovalev, of course, was yeah. a big star in that game. So this one is pretty memorable. Uh, the uh, Halak Spring, of course, all those games yeah. in 2010, yeah. they were very special. And how can you forget your first game? I mean, it's yeah. uh, the, the first game, there are a lot, the big chunks of it that I, I lost in my memory because I was, um, I was such a nervous wreck. But you, you can't really forget your uh, your first game. There's, there's a, we were talking about this with Dave Stubbs. We had Dave on the podcast uh, earlier this week, and we were talking about. I, I asked him. I said, do, "Do you think the Canadians could have expanded the Montreal Forum and kept that building?" And he said, "No. That you know, that's that's an emotional reaction. There was nowhere to go with the Montreal wow. Forum. They needed a new building." And Ted Ted brought it up. Ted said, "There's an electricity generated by Canadians fans." that they brought over to the Bell Center. And I know the Bell Center will never be special until the Habs win a Stanley Cup, I think. But it's still a special place. And there's an electricity in the building that I still feel as a fan when you walk in to go see a game. Mm -hmm. You can feel it bubbling up. Do you feel that in the booth? Yeah, I do. You do. Uh, But one thing you were so right about, Well, you talked about the Stanley Cup. I'm just going to talk about playoffs as opposed to regular yeah. season. In one of those games against uh, the Bruins, the Halak uh, playoff, I will remember in the third period, I, I don't remember exactly what game, the electricity was so intense in the building, I couldn't work sitting down. I was out of breath. Literally, physically wow. out of breath. Swept away by, by The this. building had taken the breath out of you. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, wow. Great way to say it. I had to work standing up the whole period. And uh, this is pretty unique. Uh, like I've done some great Stanley Cup playoffs in, in 12 or 13 years span. But uh, this, this is quite unique. And you talk to it. A lot of people think that, oh, yeah, p- players will say that because they want to they wanna sound good in an interview. No, every player uh, in the league that has a little bit of experience knows the difference playing in Montreal or playing elsewhere. Yeah. It's... Uh, so yeah, I can't imagine how it's going to be like when they finally make it to the, uh, oh, to, the to the big one. Did you um, uh, 
Because there's a, a there's a famous well, I don't know if it's a famous picture. It's a picture I always remember of Danny Gallivan leaning like way over the ledge of the booth, yeah. holding the microphone like this, looking down. Rene was the same, and he did the same. And I I wondered if you chose a style when you started to call. Did you choose to sit down, or was it? Do you stand up when it gets exciting? Believe like, me, I've got shoulder aches and back aches uh, at least a month after yeah. the end of every season. Because I work the same way. Yeah. Because the Bell Center is one of the few new buildings where the press box is literally suspended from the ceiling. Detroit has done the same. And this is so great for us because it makes us work closer to the rink. We're not as deep as we're, right. we are in other rinks. But the price to pay yeah. is to literally bend over the you ramp. Have to, you have to hunch. And, There you yeah, go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, sometimes Lynn goes, Pierre, have your back straight. You know, we're at the restaurant. And I said, well, that's the way I am. Like, you know, for 60 hockey games. So, uh, but yeah, but but we have, uh, of course, it's and, and it's not because we, we're, the, we're the Habs uh, yeah. partner. It's the best building for us. It, it By is. far, yeah. the best well, even, building even opposition for broadcasting. Players, opposition players talk about how they love, and, and, love and, coming And my colleagues all yeah. around the league, they yeah. love to come here. Yeah. They all have three, four hot dogs I was before say the that broadcast. <laughs> I don't know talks. how they do it because <laughs> I did it the first year and I said, bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> Pierre Hood is our special guest. We're going to stop here. Well, we're not going to stop. We're just going to take a moment to thank a couple of our supporters. And I'd like to start... Uh, with uh, the good people at Merson Automotive. Um, there's was a bit of a sadness this week at Merson because Ted's Bavarian money pit bit the dust. It and, did. And My engine seized. The engine seized, oh. and that was the yeah. end of the car. Yeah. So there are going to be fewer phone calls to the folks at Merson. Well, they're going to help me find a new one. Uh, they've, they've booked me for a pre-purchase inspection of another car that I'm looking at, and that's just one of the many services Uh, the Mersons offer. Terry and I have been doing business with the Mersons for, I guess, about 25 years mm. now. And um, uh, you name it, they can do it for your car. And if they can't do it, if it's not within their area of expertise, they'll find someone who can and someone who will treat you with the same courtesy and integrity and honesty as the Mersons do. Three generations that family has been in business at Saint-Jacques and Cavendish. And that's tough business, and I don't think you stay in business for uh, three generations in any <clears throat> field unless you do it right and do it with honesty and integrity. That's what keeps clients coming back to Merson Automotive. And uh, I'm telling you, if you uh, hook up with the Mersons, uh, you won't need to find another mechanic. Uh, they will, And it's not just mechanic, it's also tires. Tires are their specialty. And if you need new tires, they'll tell you. If you don't need new tires, they'll tell you when you will. And that's another thing I've always liked about them. Well, your winter tires have probably got one more season in them, but make sure that you, you know, check with us like towards the end of the season and we'll see where you're at, as opposed to, oh boy, <laughs> you're in trouble. Uh, I wouldn't leave on you. those things. Yeah. yeah. And that's going to run you, yeah. by the way. Yeah. No, the Mersons aren't like that. Terrific folks. Mersonauto.com. Saint-Jacques, west of Cavendish, 514-487-5545. Podcast is also supported by another favorite of ours at the Matla Bonheur, a Quebec-run, Quebec-owned, family-run, family-owned business that dedicates their whole business to one thing that's a good night's sleep. When you go into a Matla Bonheur store, you're going to find mattresses and headboards and linens and pillows and anything that has anything to do with a good night's sleep. Whether you're looking for a mattress for the guest room 
or you've been sleeping on an old mattress that's just been too long. A lot of people, you know, wait too long to get a new mattress. They'll find something for your budget. You'll be warmly greeted by a really well-trained staff at one of the 17 locations across uh, the island of Montreal. You can find them just about anywhere. And when you go, you'll have a wonderful shopping experience because of that wonderful staff. And you're sure to find something that's going to suit your needs. The best place to start is matlabonheur.ca. We haven't even talked about Formula One. Well, we, By the way, I was a happy customer on both uh, uh, From Merson and Matla? I remember uh, through you, but uh, they were so amazing. We had an emergency with Michelle. Yep. We had to uh, to have the car attended. Said, drop by. Michelle went there, and she was barely starting to drive, and she was treated like a queen over there. There you, you go. go. Matla Bonheur, I actually bought my mattress yeah. in Terban, the Terban. Uh, the location up there? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Mascouche. Yeah, nice people. Nice people. Really nice people. Yeah. Um, we should t- we, we we have to talk about the. I, I'd like to to know if you could explain the diversion out of radio and into F1 uh, racing. Not as a driver, but as. No, oh, sometimes I wish. But, uh, <laughs> but you you ended up you ended up man. Were you gen- were you general manager, yeah. general director of general manager of, the, of the F1 race here in Montreal? Yeah, in '85 and '86. Yeah, how did that come to be, Pierre? Well, in '82, uh, I was program director of a uh, CKVL in Sequoia. Uh, they were, uh, you know, like a sister stations yep. in Verdun for the Titleman family, and uh, we got the rights, the promotional rights, and the exclusive rights on Formula One, francophone radio. Shom was actually our uh, yeah. our partner, Partly. and uh, this is when I got to uh, to develop my passion with uh, for Formula One with Rob Braid actually, right. who was running the station at the time, and uh, so uh, we had to be very involved in the not only the broadcasting of, but the promotional aspect of the Grand Prix because we were the airwaves that uh, the Grand Prix of Canada chose. Primarily. So I had to go through a lot of meetings with Normal Ago. And the, the Grand Prix was run by the Labatt Brewery at the time. So I had numerous meetings with the Labatt people and the Houston Group people uh, that, I, that were doing PR. And um, this is how I got to have my first immersion in Formula One. And the first Grand Prix I saw on location was the 1982 Canadian Grand Prix where and when a certain Gilles Villeneuve was missing so much because he had died in Zolder a couple of weeks before. Oh. But but I I had but I had I was bitten right there though. Yeah. I, I had my passion. Isn't uh, that interesting? To, exact same with me, Pierre. Yeah. First race I ever went to and my friends Was it that one? It was that one and my friends from Toronto dragged me there and the whole way there I was going, You guys in your car racing. <laughs> and then when I got there I was blown away. Yeah. When blown you see, away. When you see the true speed yeah. the first time and the and the sounds. And the sounds. Oh, the Take, sounds, the, the sights and the smells. It takes your yeah. breath out of your lungs. There you you're, go. Like, you're like, <gasps> Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Sorry, Pierre. I no, 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 but you know what? I, I'm glad because you explained <laughs> it better than I did. This is how you get hooked. Or this is how you're gonna get unhooked, and you don't you won't care about Formula yeah. One. Yeah. But if it's gonna happen, it's gonna happen in one second. Yeah. Yeah. Because the, your your three senses are actually responding yeah. to what you see, to what you hear, and what you smell. And uh, so, because I was already very involved uh, in '82, then in '84 <clears throat> they wanted me. They actually got a FM license to operate on the uh, on on the island with a ten watt 
power transmitter. <laughs> and uh, they asked me if I would uh, do the whole setup and be one of the announcers on location and just organize the whole thing. And I decided to do it. And uh, it, was, it, it was so exciting to, to do that. And then in 85, uh, the lady who ran the Grand Prix, her name was Susan Payne. Susan was actually uh, moving uh, into Egypt with her husband, who had a very uh, high-level uh, job at the Pepsi, the, the Pepsi family. And she says, well, I'm moving with my husband. And uh, Joseph Levy, actually, was a good friend of ours who, who, yep. who worked for so long in, in radio, especially yep. uh, CJD and CJFM and, and for us at CKVL Sequoia, said, I think I may have your man to replace you. And they offered me to run the Grand Prix as of 85 as an assistant and then in 86 as a general manager. And I said, yeah, I'll, I'll jump. I'll, I'll live the experience. So I took an hiatus from radio yep. and I decided to go and run the event. And, and did your business education background help to qualify you for that? Would you have been able to run it without that? That's a good question. I, I, I don't know, but I know it helped me a lot uh, on the ground. But at the same time, r running the Grand Prix at the time, Ted, was, uh, was so difficult because we were actually running after every single piece of, of penny available from governments. Mm -hmm. And we were literally showed the door every time. Nobody understood F1 racing no, in, and, and in North America at that time, I don't think so, no. Pierre. I, I, I think not just governments, but that's where Ted's attitude came from. It was Rob Braid who said to me, you're coming to the track. And I was like, ah, what do I want to go to the track for? Yeah. And those were in the days when security wasn't what it is today. Well, of course not. And, and you could get right oh, up yeah, close to the track. Oh, yeah, we wandered all over yeah. the place. Yeah. 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 yeah, well, we didn't have the new facility. I mean, we still were. Uh, I ran the last Grand Prix in open-air pit lane. Wow. We didn't have any structure. So you had we had to put the, um, the cars in the canoe-kayak uh, uh, outlets. Wow. And they had to be to be brought on wheels, and the mechanics would would actually work uh, without a roof. They they would work, and <laughs> of course it rained <laughs> like course. crazy on Sunday <laughs> after the race. So anyway, so uh, but it, it was a fantastic experience, and uh, I I've I've learned how to deal with with local management yeah. because I would report to Labatt's management like every two weeks. Uh, so I would go at the board meetings. And uh, one of uh, and the president and the chairman of Labatt Brewery at the time, I was a big fan of his because he was Pierre Desjardins, former offensive lineman oh. for the Montreal Alouettes. Wow. And Pierre used to wear number 63. And I, when I was an offensive lineman myself uh, in Bantam and, and Midget, I was wearing <laughs> number 63. So I got to meet uh, all those uh, people and I got to know uh, all of the inner structures of Labatt and John Labatt Limited uh, holding and uh, so I got the corporate side, the huge corporate side of it. And I also got to uh, negotiate every week with Bernie Ecclestone. On I the was phone just going to ask you, did you just, have to deal with Bernie Ecclestone? Yeah, yeah. and I'll, I'll, I'll give you something. He's the funniest man on earth. He oh, is. yeah? Yeah. He, he just couldn't sh show it all the time because he would not have been as rich. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but he, had, he was the typical English humor yeah. person. Uh, that uh, that you can that you can imagine. Of course, he was extremely uh, demanding when you were talking to him, or if you were visiting another Grand Prix to sit down with him and address very important matters. 
you better be prepared. That must have been intimidating. It was uh, intimidating. to anyone, but you would have been a young man then. I was Pierre. 27. Jeez. At the time. Wow. Yeah. Well, a bit like Normand. Normand was yeah. actually running the Grand Prix b- before me uh, in the early 80s, about the same age. But I'll tell you what, it, it was a good thing to be young and crazy and a bit innocent because it, it, was, it was 20 hours a day. Yeah. At one point, yeah. it was just a crazy job. And as I said, no help. And we were in the worst political moment at the time because the Drapeau administration was literally fading out. So we had no one to turn to on the municipal level. Robert Bourassa, Robert Bourassa was about to come back as the liberal chief and fight the Parti Québécois to, uh, to get back to, to power. And in Ottawa, those were the early years of Brian Mulroney and the conservative people. So it, politically, it was just impossible for me. I, I, I would have a counselor coming with me every because he knew all the steps in Ottawa and all the the, the sous-ministre and all the uh, adjoint and all the, you know. And and we would go there and it's, I would talk to a wall, and I would have all my calculations because I'm a, I'm a marketing graduate. I know what a retombée économique was yeah. all about. I knew all the in, the inputs and all the benefits from having fresh money coming to your country. And I was talking to those sub-ministers, and they would go, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, all right, oh, bye. <laughs> so so we, we knew in advance we would have about a $2 million deficit, income minus expenses. <laughs> and we knew it would be around $2 million. I am proud to say that my deficit was $1.5. <laughs> well, those were the days of... Uh, I remember the tobacco companies were big supporters. Big supporters. Eh? Big, uh, and, and I remember Mark Ten signs, and we were big time partners with players. Uh, players, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. We were big time partner with Imperial Tobacco. Yeah, and you know what? Let's put the product on a shelf. Yeah, there. we're not talking product. We're no. talking people. Yeah, they were the most unbelievable, and and a lot of them are still my friends. You know, Andre don't. Yes, of course. Andre was the one who signed the big contract with me. Is that right? Because Andre was the uh, the rising star in the uh, in the players promotional department, and the big contract I signed with uh, Imperial Tobacco was with Andre and, and uh, Labatt Fifty too. I well, remember, Labatt, we actually I remember we, that we, we were we were a division of the Labatt Brewery. Wow! So that's why. So I would, they were I early remember. believers. Oh, they were absolutely believers, and and Pierre Desjardins was was the biggest fan. And when Gilles died in '82, it created a huge dramatic. Uh, moment at the brewery and i to a point that pierre thought about stopping promoting the event and i think he was convinced that this is not what Gilles would like Gilles would like the event on the contrary to grow and then the track was named the Gilles villeneuve circuit and then i think there were some positive pressures on the contrary to keep the event alive to to make it grow in 86, it was the last of the Labatt uh, event, and I saw it coming because the track was obsolete. We, we, Bernie was very, very adamant and very clear in my office after the event. He said, if we're coming back next year, I need structures, I need garages, I need a new surface, I need this and I need that. And believe me, we're not bluffing. And then it led to a, it led to a hiatus in 87. There were no Grand Prix in, no Grand Prix in 87. And it was Mayor Jean Doré who actually reconciled all the parties together and uh, 
try to make sense of uh, all working together to bring back the Grand Prix in 88 with the new structure that uh, that has been enhanced dramatically uh, when, a couple when, of years ago. Now, it's so big, and it's, it's very Hollywood, if you know what I mean. It's very... Uh, um, you know, it draws people from all over the world, and 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 it's intense. And tickets are thousands of dollars, and you can't get them anymore, and you can't get near a Grand Prix party. It, it's one of the key events, I think, on the calendar uh, in Montreal in the summertime. But back when you started, Pierre, it didn't have that same kind of no draw, right? No. It was it wasn't that kind of thing that it is today. Although, Terry, I would say that at the time, we were allowed 60,000 spectators on the track. We're about to 100,000 now. Yeah. But the authorities, because of all, all reasonable reasons, uh, made us, uh, gave us a limit of 60,000. So, but I would say that a lot of them came from Ontario, yeah. came from uh, uh, the Maritimes, came from the uh, northeastern states yeah. of, of USA, Some of them were coming maybe a little bit from Europe, uh, but we, we had a, a pretty decent uh, influx of tourists, but not to the level of today. And, and one of the reasons is today is that you're, you've added almost 40,000 seats yeah. on, on, the, on the island. So it has become more than huge. It has become the number one uh, for, for so many stores and restaurants and hotels in restaurant and, and around, it has become the number one source of income uh, in a year. I remember uh, there was a, a, a restaurant that I absolutely adored in downtown uh, Montreal. It was on a mountain, um, and it was called Portofino's. Mm -hmm. And the family that ran that restaurant were lovely, wonderful. I was there a lot. And they told me one year, without the Grand Prix, This doesn't work. Nope. We can't. We can't finish the year. There you go. We we make we make our year Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Mm -hmm. And and the uh, the moment of the season for F1 and for our own reality here in Montreal and in 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 Eastern Canada is perfect. Yeah. <clears throat> Because and as you said it on the air so often, just the word Canadian Grand Prix yeah. rhymes with. The beginning of summer. summer yeah. And yeah. for so many people, yeah. it is the real yeah. beginning. It's of the summer. starting gun of the summer season in yeah. Montreal. Yeah. Yeah. Are the facilities sufficiently modernized and is everything contractually in place to uh, to ensure the long term future yeah. of the race in Montreal? Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Until nice at least the late uh, 20s, which was actually uh, powered by Denis Coderre at the time and the authorities. Um, I think that, uh, you know, you can never rest on your laurels. Is that a good word? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because in F1, there's such a huge demand around the world, especially the last couple of years with the drive to survive and Netflix. Yeah. And so everybody, everybody wants a piece of Formula One. But I think here, the infrastructure now is, is above decent. It's, yeah. it's, it's so above, it's up to standard. It's above acceptable. Yeah. Is it up to the, the standards of those uh, crazy Grand Prix like Singapore and yeah. what Vegas is going to be? Of course not. But at the same time, it's way up there with Australia. It's way up there with uh, other um, non-permanent facilities. Uh, the track surface is acceptable. Drivers will always complain about the fact that the, the circuit is boring. But you know what? I always reply to drivers, when it's boring for you, it's usually so exciting for the fans. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, you, do, you don't want to stop at that. Uh, it's, it's well run by Francois Dumontier, who's been there for years. 
Bell is a major partner behind uh, the event now. So the, the, the size of the structure surrounding the event uh, is, is extremely important. Uh, so good people, good foundation, good facility, great turnout, usually great weather. What else can you, can you yeah. want from an event? And for all those years that North America has been unable to stand a Formula One Grand Prix, and of course the United States had so many mistrials, and of course now it's different, but Montreal has always been the safety net for North America. It has always been the insurance policy that Formula One could rely on and say, well, we have our solid foundation in North America if something goes wrong uh, south of the border. I remember uh, the days when, when Michael Schumacher was king of that sport, and some people would complain. They'd say, oh, I'm not going to watch this weekend. Schumacher's going to win again this weekend. Are we in another era of that with Verstappen, Pierre? Yeah, this, we are. this season, we are. I'm afraid. Yeah. But you know what? Um, a lot of people are uh, are complaining about this, and they always uh, tell me, hey, it's like Prost and Senna was not the same. And well, I said, Prost and Senna were actually driving for the same team. <laughs> so a dominant team in Formula One is yeah. nothing new. Yeah. It's uh, but Now, is it more evident this year? It's always in relation to what the others do or, or don't do. Obviously... Red Bull has found a, a an extremely efficient uh, thread of, of of performance. We all think it has to do with the floor of the uh, of the the car and with the um, the extreme refinement of those of the suspensions they have on their car because this is what it's all about with the with ground effect having come back uh, since last year and the new regulations. So other teams are trying to catch up. It's great to have Aston Martin as the number two team. Sure, yeah. Canadian-owned team. Well, yeah, yeah. it's Lawrence yeah. and it's Lance, yeah. and it's yeah. you know we 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 all grew with them. Yeah, yeah. and uh, so it's 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 nice to have. It's nice and so refreshing for all of us who are getting older to yes. see Fernando Alonso <laughs> yeah. kicking yeah. some. Yeah. Can I say it? Yeah, kicking, kicking some A? Kicking some yeah, ass. Yeah, I can say that. Say, yes, yeah. you can. Oh, it's a podcast, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, so it's right. good to see Fernando <laughs> kicking <laughs> some ass yeah. uh, uh, in his 40s. So I think there are things to see. now. What? But but uh, your, uh, but Max is, is pretty uh, untouchable What's right your, What's your uh, theory about Lewis Hamilton? Lewis Hamilton dominated the sports, and he's driving for one of the most successful racing teams in the history of racing, I think, with a fair amount of money behind it, Mercedes-Benz. Yes. And and suddenly, he's not a contender. Well, the car is not that good, Terry. And so it's the engineering. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and the engine as well, because it used to be... Because when they came to the uh, hybrid era, yeah, Mercedes was so quick to to be performant with this technology. The others took forever to uh, to develop it, but they did develop, and now... They, they caught up some people. Well, yeah. and they probably move forward. Yeah, even even uh, even uh, more powerful than the, than Mercedes, and powerful and reliable yeah. because it's it's also a lot of electronics now with this hybrid era. Now, as far as Lewis is concerned, my personal concern with him, with him is not his ability; it's his his love and passion for so many things outside Formula One. He loves music. He loves movies. He loves to hang out with actors. He's distracted. Well, yes, I don't think he's distracted so far, Ted. My okay. fear is that he will become more and more distracted. Okay. And the sad thing about Sebastian Vettel 
fading so bad and it's fading the wrong way the last couple of years, he was not into it anymore. Yeah. The mind wasn't there. But don't the you, appetite wasn't there. Don't you think, Pierre, when, you know, these guys, you know, they they have hundreds of millions of dollars in the bank. Yeah. How do you how do you stay interested? If, especially the, if you're not winning or your card isn't performing? Because they don't care about the hundred millions. I in guess the bank. not. Well, they do to a certain degree. Yeah. But but they 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 live yeah. for being fast on the track. It's always been like that, yeah. and it will always be like that, yeah. which is why you do this crazy job. I mean, yeah. you have to be crazy yeah. to do no that. Kidding. Lap after lap after lap. Yeah, I, I, have I, you seen Monaco lately? Uh, yeah. If you, if you watch an inboard yeah. lap, onboard lap, you literally have to be crazy. To do <laughs> you, this. you do. And, well, and, and also, I, um, Grosjean, that awful, awful wreck he had. Yeah. And I thought... Anybody who nearly burns to death in a car. Okay, so what did he do a couple of weeks ago? In day 500? Yes. He has a huge crash yes. again. But and, and he said, I will never go on oval tracks. They're just too dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> Two days after. Yeah. Hey, why don't I do the, the, the 500? They're hooked on it. I thought, what's yeah. Grosjean doing in an Indy car? But, but let me uh, rephrase my answer uh, regarding Lewis. You know what I would love to see? What? I'm not sure Charles Leclerc has a future at Ferrari, personally. I don't think he's he's serious enough to become a world champion. You know what? Does I he would, have the talent? Oh yeah. Okay. He's got the talent, but I'm not sure he has the serious discipline, overall yep. discipline to become a champion. You know what? I would love for Lewis last uh, last contribution try to take Ferrari out of the. It's not the mediocre level because it's not a mediocre car. But it's a not up to par car so yeah, far. Yeah. I'd like to see Lewis get there and do what Michael did uh, in the nineties. That would be amazing. And say, well, this is my last uh, mission in Formula One. I'm going to try to be that one. Now, if you're going to go in that direction, you better be prepared mentally yeah. to go through it. You got to be. You, you better be prepared to f to fight like crazy and to be also a binding agent with all the resources. Uh, because otherwise, it's, it's, there's a lot of pressure uh, in, in Italy. I'm going to give you a minute to think about this because I want to turn back to hockey and I want to turn to uh, eras and players. Think about that for a second while we thank a couple of more supporters. Are you all right with that, Tim? I'm you good, look, yeah. You look like you're going to yell at no, me. No, no, I'm not, no, not at all. <laughs> no, I'm going to fall asleep. Oh, okay. And it's not because anyone's boring me. It's she was thanks I No, 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 well, no, no, no. It's been good, guys. <laughs> you took that the wrong way, here. No, I woke I'm up at 2.30 this morning and yes, couldn't get back to sleep. Okay. Oh, and now I'm sitting here. Eh. Listen, you said... That you can't get near a Grand Prix party. Yes. I'll have you know, Pierre Hood, that Terry DeMonte and I have been invited to the McLaren party this year. This year? Yep. Yeah. Whoa. Because McLaren Montreal is owned by our sponsors, Jaguar Land Rover Laval. Oh. They, they also own McLaren Montreal, which is right next door to Jaguar Land Rover Laval on Chamity. Right. And I got a call from their... From their uh, marketing director, Adrian, and she said, uh, "Why don't you and Terry come to uh, the McLaren party?" That's I so went nice. last year. It was fun. It was uh, wow. What a privilege that is. You're going to meet Lando Norris. I met him last year. Oscar. Well, I didn't meet him. I saw him. 
The Rising yeah. Star, yeah. Oscar Piastri. Him, I don't. I think only Lando Norris came to. I was at the McLaren Montreal party. Right. It wasn't the McLaren team party, but they brought uh, they brought Lando uh, in. That's fantastic. And it was yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, I don't drive a McLaren. You might not be uh, surprised to to learn. <laughs> Terry and I were at an open house at McLaren Montreal. What was it, Terry? Earlier this week, last weekend. Yeah, last weekend, yeah. Yeah, we saw a car that the paint job cost a thousand, a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> the paint job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I see what you're talking. about. Nice set of wheels. Yeah. Uh, perhaps a Land Rover <laughs> or a Jaguar though right. might be uh, more within uh, uh, someone's reach. And if you're looking for either one of those vehicles. Make Jaguar Land Rover Laval your first stop, not only because of the quality of those luxury brands, but because of how you will be treated by the Decubellus brothers, Nino and Renato, the co-owners of Jaguar Land Rover Laval, and their staff. Good and decent people, and from top to bottom, it permeates from ownership right down, uh, all the way down, and uh, just... Just you'll get treated right there. They're, You're always they're good, welcome. Good people. You're always welcome. Yeah. Exactly. You be, want to go look at the yeah. one point two million yeah. dollar McLaren? Don't be intimidated. Yeah, You're, they'll they'll be glad to yeah. see you. They'll, yeah. And they'll make you a cappuccino. Yeah, there while you they're go. at it. Yeah, which is which we, Terry and I find ironic. They have these British luxury brands, but they also <laughs> well, they'll offer you a cappuccino. You ask, <laughs> you ask for tea, and they look at you like tea. <laughs> What's the tea? <laughs> a cup of tea. JaguarLaval.com and LandRoverLaval.com. And now I'm going to crawl under the table because. I made Pierre feel like he was boring. <laughs> no, no, come on. I'm just teasing you, Ted. You teased me on the air so often right. when I was working with the two of you. So it's, so here's it's another, payback time. An, yeah. Another, yeah, another surprise is um, our good friends at Voswin, another supporter of the, the podcast. Uh, we get this phone call from this gentleman who says... Uh, I am. I'm a mechanical, or, or we run a mechanical. Yeah, I'm not engineer. sure what his engineering yeah. discipline is, but he's an engineer, right? Yeah. And uh, my first question, of course, because I'm a knucklehead, is woo woo engineer or <laughs> a design? Anyway. What kind of train do you drive? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Sam says to us, "Will we?" Uh, Sean says to us, "Will we have? Can we have lunch?" And I was so fascinated with him and so intrigued by what he does. And uh, at first I thought we couldn't help him, but it turns out we can. If you're an inventor, if you have an idea that you think you'd like to bring to market, if you're struggling with the end of that idea to get it to market, Voswin is the company you want to call and deal with. Uh, we always say they will take the idea out of your head and put it in your hands. And there are all different disciplines that they attend to to help you reach that conclusion. Mechanical, electrical, industrial engineering and design and software development. And as Terry said, they'll take you from the development process, uh, well, the ideation process yeah. to begin with, yeah. through development and right on through to getting it onto the market. They can help you in every aspect of that. Maybe your Formula One car uh, needs uh, yeah. an upgraded suspension there so that you, you can catch up with Red Bull. Maybe Sean can maybe Sean can help some of the other teams catch up with Red Bull. Who knows? Uh, what's, I'll make a contact with uh, Adrian Yu. Yeah, why don't you? Have yeah. to call Sean at Voswin.com. Adrian, that, Sean, that, Sean, Adrian. Yeah. Is that that's the website? Voswin.com. Ideation? I didn't know that was a word. It is. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if I used it in the proper context, okay. but it is a word. Well, you're the Scrabble King. So. No, I'm the Wordle King. Mm -hmm. Except for today. Yes. Fuck Our guest is Pierre Hood. <laughs> and just as we're wrapping it up, I want to turn to hockey, Pierre. You've seen so much. You've, you've witnessed 
so much with this historic franchise. What stands out for you? Who stands out for you? Well, uh, I personally think that we will have one of the most interesting training camps in the many, many years, wow. this coming training camp. Uh, because many reasons, but mainly because of the um, the encouraging and the, and the faster encouraging process of rebuilding this team that we've witnessed last season, and especially on defense. If you, if you make the count, and if you include maybe Logan Mayu, uh, if, if he has offered uh, an invitation to training camp, and if the NHL gives the blessing to his return, and I think that the young man has done a lot of serious uh, reflection and, and gestures to go in the right direction. Now, I'm not the one who will make the call, and uh, that's the team's decision. But if you include this young man who has, who has, who has tons of potential, this is going to be somewhat of a training camp for defensemen. Also, he didn't murder anybody. It was wrong what he did, but it's it's not okay. I won't go there. But well, just, no, I think I, it, listen, I think it was I, I think I, it was blown well beyond proportion I, of what I, actually happened. I think happened. we're all of the same uh, opinion that young men make terrible mistakes, and if you pay for those mistakes. And you are uh, remorseful, sufficiently contrite, and contrite, and and you learn a big lesson, and you have help from people around you who care about you and love you. You should be able to move forward with your life. Well, the the echoes I got uh, is that all of that is going in the right direction. He was very well surrounded by Rob Ramage. Uh, by the way, I I didn't know Rob Ramage, but. It's, it's pretty amazing. His own story is, is pretty amazing. Uh, related Talk to, about a guy who's had to come back from a disaster, a tragedy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, being involved in the fatal accident of uh, Keith uh, Magnuson. Keith Magnuson, yeah. It's, uh, so he's an amazing uh, individual. I, I had some dis- discussions with him. So, yeah, talking about huge dramatic moments in your life, uh, so I think the kid is in the right direction. And it's not to the three of us to decide. No, no, if no. He comes also, in, I sidetracked you again, Pierre. I'm sorry. You were talking no, about worry. how great the, they're no, looking on defense. Worry, but my point is, the, uh, there's no sidetracking. I love those uh, yeah. okay. going everywhere conversations. Yeah. Uh, you know what? We I specialize do, in tangents. I, I would, so I would do, do that for five hours. <laughs> yeah. So it's, uh, uh, but, but I think that the way, the progress we've seen in the Gooley and, and Jack Eye and, and Jordan Harris and, 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 the, the 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 big brother that is David Savard and the and, and everything we see, I think we will have, we will see the huge progress at training camp and there will be some interesting battles at training camp mm-hmm. because Baron is going to want to stay yeah and and you know some others will want to fare uh, the, uh, the the right way and if they are sent to Laval they want to be the first to be called up so I'm very enthusiastic about it I'm very enthusiastic. Enthusiastic also about the progress of Sam Montembeau. I, we, we've called every single Canadian team game at the World Championship. He was outstanding. He was the number one star of that no-star Canadian team mm-hmm. that actually won the gold medal. Uh, I think he is in, in full bloom. I think, I hope you can go like 50 games with him uh, and go in the low 30s for Jake Allen 
I, I think they can be a solid uh, goaltending pair. And providing that everybody is healthy, you should also see the progress uh, in uh, with the forwards. So I'm really looking forward to the um, uh, to the training camp. I'm not saying we're going to make the playoffs this year. I don't think so. But I think that we'll see the progress. And uh, we're uh, I'm, I'm excited with the future of that team. I said about them last year, and I feel the same way this year. Even if they lose, it'll be fun to watch them lose. Yeah, and They're can I add something, to watch. Ted? It's a fun team to be around. Is, Is it? it? Yeah. yeah. Which was not the case no. uh, two years ago. Yeah. And I'm not blaming any individual. That's the way it was with the Habs. But the changes that have been made, and Martin Saint-Louis, win or lose, comes in front of the aircraft, the charter plane, and they comes and talk, chat with Mark and I. While, we, you know, whoa, we had a stinker, eh, tonight, guys? <laughs> yeah. Must have been tough here to call. <laughs> <laughs> What a difference. What I a said, difference. well, yeah. Marty, yeah, yeah, but you know what? Well, he said, okay, but how did you see that? And then he, he goes with Mark, and how did you see this and that? It's, it's, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm almost reborn. Not reborn, yeah. but I feel young again uh, with this team. I also, and, and they're all kids. They're yeah. and dead, so I also <laughs> think it, it, Stu Cowan wrote a great column on uh, Suzuki uh, choosing to spend the summer in Montreal. That's amazing. And I think that says something about how much they're enjoying this current edition of the Montreal Canadiens you want to you want to stay in the city and you know I mean if you're Suzuki you can't go anywhere well right I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example uh, I have this little spot I love on Green Avenue would you allow me to of yes, course, say the please. name of the restaurant you Is know it it's a fa- no I love I love yeah. uh, I love Tommaso yeah. well we were there the, yeah no it's it's a I love diners style of restaurants mm-hmm. it's yeah. it's over a hundred years old yep. Nick's Shea Nick yeah Shea Nick. sure we yeah. love that and Lynn yeah. and I we go and sit at the bar and and Rob and Nick the owners are amazing and the staff is absolutely amazing and it's and then I'm sitting there and Lynn says I know your neighbor we were on a, on a Sunday morning Pierre I know this young man Cole, what are you doing there? It was, it was Cole Caulfield with uh, with uh, Weidman, uh, Chris Weidman, and with uh, uh, Michael Pizzetta. And uh, so, hey, guys, how you doing? You come Shea Nick? Yeah, it's the best, and we love it. And those kids, they're young. Yeah. They, they, lo- they love life. They live life fully. They like Montreal. They've embraced Montreal. That's the uh, non-pragmatic factor the non-sport factor yeah but that for me is a very important it factor means something for yeah. this franchise yeah especially for years all most of the guys darted out of the city and yeah. went to as their, soon as it was over, yeah they, soon, yeah they, they packed would be their bags to be seen. and they, you never saw them over the no. summer i so i i have a lot of faith also to the the family atmosphere that will be created with that team i think it was a huge uh underrated ingredient of success with the Red Wings. if Because I covered so many uh, playoffs with the Red Wings, and the players would say that Mr. Illich and his wife and the whole Illich yeah. family, they did so good for the family atmosphere, the family ambiance, and you felt, you felt solidaire, you know, to all the, to, to the, to the players, and you became their, their sons, and, and, and you became brothers. And, and, and so I think it's a huge part of uh, Maybe what we were missing a little bit uh, here with the team, and I think we're going into that direction. And it starts with Jeff Molson. I well, think that Jeff Molson was a very humble person I, and made a lot of good decisions. I, I, you know, I'm not good, good friends with Jeff Molson, but I know Jeff Molson. 
I met Jeff Molson when he was playing hockey for LCC when I was refereeing and he was the captain of the team. And we've had many exchanges over the years. And I know, you know, people that are close to him. He's a good, good man and has uh, an immense understanding of the responsibility and the history, not only of the franchise, but of the franchise connection with the Molson and the Molson family. Absolutely. And and he takes that very seriously. And I think the franchise is in excellent hands. Well, if you look at the uh, all the decisions, including some, a decision that may that may seem uh, not so important, but as he said, the first one of the first days uh, of his uh, of his new position as the leader of the team, he said, "I go to a game and I don't hear the organ I used to hear when I was a kid." Yeah. Owns Dion Bibo and bring uh, Dion yeah. back, yeah. and uh, so th- th- that may that may sound small. No, but, uh, that's that's, that's an understanding of the history yeah. of the franchise. I'll yeah. take yeah. that over that racket on the scoreboard <laughs> any day. Seriously, give me the organ over the scoreboard. Yeah, well, yeah. you well. said racket just like an old man. That darn racket coming from that newfangled scoreboard. <laughs> Yeah, well, <laughs> you sounded like Bob Cole. Yeah. Yeah. I don't Dying like that Harry. guy, Pierre. You I don't know, like back in my day. <laughs> um, you've been very generous with your time, Pierre. I just want to ask you. Is it, it over already? Well, oh, my yeah. God. I we've, was having we've been a great talking time, for, but my parkometer is well, about to go. Well, that's why so. you heard my alarm go off. Yeah, that, okay. that was my parking All meter, right, too. Okay. But um, who immediately comes to mind? Is it Loire? Is it Lafleur? Like when you close your eyes and picture. Games and the rink. Guilafleur. Guilafleur. Point final. And all my respect to Patrick and all to the great, great, great players. And many of them. That uh, that we've had. Great players and great individuals and great leaders as well. For me, Le Demont Blanc is still uh, yeah. unparalleled. Uh, yeah. And what is magic about, uh, about his or my appreciation is that I was a teenager when you know when he grew in the league, and then I was a, a young adult when they had those four Stanley Cups, and then because he ended up his career with the Nordiques on my first year of of uh, television of hockey on TV, I got to call Guy Lafleur on the ice. I understand it was not the same. It was Guy with the Nordiques, and it was Guy that was not as fast on the ice. But I got to call the Lafleur name yeah. in my first season. So for me, there's, there's, I mean, I know what Jean Bidiveau was all about. I knew what the Rocket was all about. But I think for me, the, the biggest star that we had in the whole history of the team is Guy Lafleur, and nobody came close yeah. until now. Yeah. And uh, he left too early. He left too early. Yeah. 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 He, he was, uh, we, you know what? When he left, I my first reaction was that we're all orphans. Yeah. And to to one of the greatest lines I had this day when we learned that he uh, he, uh, he was gone, my daughter phones me and says, Dad, uh, you, you know, you always took uh, me and mom to the... Uh, 9410 restaurant uh, on Saturdays because you know so when we had tickets available I would uh, I would make sure that uh, uh, my daughter and her mother would be able to go there and Jean Bidivo was always there and he would always be available for people and we bought Michelle a, a Habs jersey 
And at one point, she went to Mr. Beliveau and she said, Mr. Beliveau, would you please sign my, uh, of course, sweetie. And he goes, Jean Beliveau, number four. So then she comes back and she says, okay, so now I've got number four. Who's number nine? Well, sadly, Michel, uh, Maurice Richard uh, is from another generation and he passed a long time ago. He said, but, you know, there's still number 10. And mm -hmm. uh, when Guy died, Michelle phones me and she says, Dad, it's the last of the three. Number 10 is gone. I said, yeah, yeah. number 10 is gone. And she felt sad because yeah. in her own way, in her own generation, she had a link with Guy Lafleur. And uh, it was, uh, it's, I mean, he was and still is today the most amazing yeah. star of this franchise. The most amazing, passionate person of that franchise was Rocket. The greatest ambassador of this franchise was Jean Beliveau. The greatest star yeah. of this franchise was Guy Lafleur, as far as I'm concerned. That's a, that put a lump in my throat. Um, so that's a... That's so a, bye! It's a, it's, it's a good spot to end, Pierre. Yeah. Pierre, I, I, I miss our morning chats. I, I do not miss I'm, getting up. And yeah, I, I still... Oh. Two years gone, I still have people say to me, boy, I miss you and Pierre in the morning. <laughs> and it, it, it's, it's been an unbelievable pleasure to have you on the podcast and an unbelievable privilege to have been able to work with you through the years. Well, so. thank you so much. It's just the same for me and Ted. I, yeah. We had so many great years, the three of us together. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you, you made me laugh like crazy. I will always remember when I'm trying to do my Bob Dylan impersonation, I had slept about two hours and I'm trying to do it. Usually I'm not bad. And you said, Pierre, what's that? <laughs> and you said, Pierre, you sound like Dylan on helium. <laughs> I said, yeah, that's probably the way I sounded. Anyway, only good memories. And uh, yeah, thank you so much to everybody who, who still say today that they miss yeah. our chats. Yeah. It, was, uh, it was a great big a sweet chunk of my professional life. It was nice to have a legend on a legendary radio station. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> Thank you, Pierre. Merci, Merci beaucoup. Thank you, guys. Standing by the Terry and Ted podcast has been brought to you by the UPS Store Canada, delivering more for small businesses in Canada. 